You're listening to Planet Now. I'm Abby. And I'm Nagisa. We've got some exciting stories to share with you today, and make sure you stay tuned until the end to test your knowledge about the environment with a little planet quiz, and also to discover some amazing fact about our nature by hearing this week's Planet Wonder. For those who are interested, a transcript's available for free on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the episode's description. So without further ado, let's get started with our first story. Let's travel over to South Korea. Some forms of waste, like toothpaste tubes, crisp packets or balloons, are really difficult to recycle and may require new designs or technology to figure out a way of reusing them. But that's not the case for food waste, because we already know what to do with it. We have all the knowledge we need to completely compost it, which means it could be a circular system where nothing ever goes to waste. You probably already know that when food waste is collected and composted, it can break down and return the nutrients to the soil. So we could remove it as a waste stream from going to landfill. But even though we know all this, it doesn't always happen. Like in South Korea back in 1996, they only composted 2% of their food waste. The other 98% went to landfill. And not only does that mean it's taking up unnecessary space in landfills, but it's also contributing to climate change. That's because when food waste breaks down in landfill, it releases methane, which is a very potent greenhouse gas. It's around 25 times stronger than carbon dioxide, a trapping hit in our atmosphere. But it wasn't always like that. In the 1970s and 1980s, there was very little food waste because South Koreans didn't have a huge surplus of food, so they ate almost everything they had. But as food became more available, food waste was contributing to the pressure on their landfills, which doesn't make any sense since we know that food waste doesn't need to end up there. But luckily, South Korea have taken impressive action to solve their food waste problem. These days, they compost about 95% of their food waste. 95%, that's nearly all of it. So how have they managed to improve their numbers so much in what's a relatively short space of time? Well, in 2013, they introduced a mandatory composting scheme, meaning everyone had to get on board with a new way of dealing with food waste. Citizens collect their food waste in special yellow bags, which they can buy from local shops for about 20 cents per bag. The cost of the bags helps to fund the composting scheme, and since residents have to pay more to throw more away, it also incentivizes them to reduce their food waste and try home composting too. The food waste is then collected and taken to facilities where it's turned into biogas, fertiliser or animal feed. Part of the success of the scheme is that it's easy to use and convenient, Compared to other countries, the collections are very frequent. So this new solution is part of South Korea's innovative approach towards waste reduction and reusing resources as much as possible. Hopefully, these astonishing results are going to inspire other countries and show them what's possible. And it's great because they can take learning points from South Korea. Actually, in Brussels, where I live, there's a system that is quite similar. We can buy um, bags where we put our compost and then every week we can put it outside and there's a truck that collects it and it's being used by the city. Is there something like this in the UK as well? Well, food waste in the UK kind of depends on region, really. So, I mean, we have some regions where they do collect food waste, but where I live, for example, we don't have a food waste collection. So it'd be really nice to see other countries become a bit more standardised, just like South Korea has done. Yeah, absolutely. Before sharing with you some ways to reduce our bills and our impact on the planet by using less heating, it's time for a little planet quiz. At the end of the episode, we'll be telling you about a fascinating Australian animal. 
And so we thought it would be nice to make this week's Planet Quiz about other Australian animals. And Australia has between 200,000 and 300,000 species, so it was not easy to restrain ourselves with our questions. But we've managed to run it up to five. Number one. There are more kangaroos than people in Australia. True or false? And it is true, which honestly I find incredible to believe. Australia's population is a little over 25 million people and there's about twice as many kangaroos in the country. Okay, so question number two. What is the inland tapon, an Australian species which venom could kill 100 people with just one bite? Is it a scorpion, a snake or a spider? Inland tapons are native to central and eastern Australia. They can be found in dry areas and they are snakes. The inland tapon is actually the most venomous snake in the world. But the good news for us is that it rarely comes into contact with humans. Inland tapons are very solitary creatures and are most likely to run away if they encountered a human being. Number three, what are baby kangaroos or baby koalas called in Australia? A little hint, it's the same name than one of the characters in Friends. And the massive Friends fan that I am had to put this question in the quiz. And so the answer is, well, it's actually my favorite character was Chandler. In Australia, baby kangaroos and baby koalas are called joeys. And to be more precise, it's not just for kangaroos and koalas, but for baby marsupials in general. And do you know what marsupials are? Because I'd never heard of them either. So you have different types of mammals and marsupials are one of these types. They are born prematurely and then they continue to develop outside of their mother's body in a pouch. I guess we all have the image of kangaroos' babies resting in their mother's pouch, for example. And so other than kangaroos and koalas, you have other marsupials like wombats or opossums. Question four. What is so special about the kookaburra bird? Can it fly in reverse? Can its wings change colour? Or can it make a noise that sounds like a human laugh? The kookaburra is native to Australia and it has the ability to make a noise that can sound like a human laugh. More precisely, we call these species the laughing kookaburra. Actually, when I was 15, I was in Australia and um, I was in a rainforest. And at some point I heard this weird sound and I thought, what is this? And they were Australian people with me and they told me that's the kookaburra. And it's just such a crazy sound. And I was just staying there for 10 minutes cracking up because it sounds like a very, very creepy person laughing. And the funny fact is that in the 19th century, it was called the laughing jackass. But careful, you don't want to mess with this laughing jackass because they can kill snakes. Yeah, they sound pretty crazy, although they clearly wouldn't stand a chance against the inland tapon. But kookaburras can kill a snake that is up to three feet or one metre. And the method is quite brutal. They grab the snake behind its head and smack it on the ground. Question five. Okay, this last question is really for animal experts or Australians. What animal has a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver? It's kind of hard to imagine this, but this Australian animal is called a platypus and it indeed has a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver. And you might never have heard of the name platypus, but I'm pretty sure if you look it up, you're going to recognise it. Despite looking very cute and harmless, platypuses can inject a very strong venom if they're attacked. 
Don't hesitate to let us know on Patreon or in the comments if you've enjoyed this little quiz, and make sure you don't miss our Planet Wonder at the end of the episode, where, as we said, we'll tell you about another truly impressive Australian animal. Okay, this next story is probably not as exciting as talking about venomous snakes or baby kangaroos, uh, but we hope that it's going to be very practical and I will help you reduce your carbon impact and save you some money. That's right, because we're going to talk about heating and how to reduce its use. Did you know that heating is responsible for most of our carbon footprint? Globally, heating and cooling is responsible for about half of our energy consumption and it's responsible for over 40% of carbon dioxide emissions that are related to energy. So changing the way we heat our homes and reducing our consumption is definitely a big priority. And as we said, this is not only better for the planet, but it's also better for our finances. Unfortunately, there are many things that we can do to reduce our heating consumption. We're going to go through some different solutions, some that are very simple, cheap and effective, and others that require a bit more investment but make a big difference on the long term. And in many countries, governments give subsidies for energy efficient renovations, so that can significantly reduce costs as well. As you know, the more your home is well insulated, the less heating you'll need. The first step to keep your homes warm is to insulate windows. About 30% of our heating needs are because of heat we lose through windows. So by changing from single to double glazing, we can reduce our heat loss by half. And sometimes heat losses can come from window cracks or door cracks. These cracks let the fresh air come into our homes. And so a low-cost solution is to fill them up with things like putty or silicone. Draft proofing is also a cheap and effective way to save energy. Draft proofing means that you block up any unwanted gaps that let cold air enter your home. You can easily draft-proof around windows, doors, or open chimneys. And a little tip to find air leaks, you can simply hold a burning candle near openings, and if you see that the flame is flickering, it means that the air is coming through. The air can also leak through letterboxes and keyholes. For letterboxes, there are flaps or brushes that can block the air without blocking your mail. And I know the house that I live in has one of these, and it's really useful. And for keyholes, you can find purpose-made covers that drop a metallic disc over the keyhole. And these might seem like insignificant things, but any cold air that you block makes a difference. And a cheap way to block out the cold from under the doors is to put down a door snake. A door snake is a long fabric tube that we place at the base of a door. It's usually filled with sand, rice or other materials. Another efficient solution is installing curtains at each window. When the sun's out, the curtains or blinds should be open. That way we can warm up the place by letting the sunlight in. And as soon as the sun is away, closing curtains or blinds will help blocking more fresh air. And for those who can afford it, of course, insulating the walls, the attics and the floors can be a very good investment. As we said before, many governments also subsidize insulation renovations. On average, a good insulation can save up to 20% on homes heating and cooling costs. On the long run, this can save you a lot of money and very much reduce your impact on the environment. But this depends on what insulation material you use. Instead of fiberglass, you can opt for natural and eco-friendly materials like straw bale, hemp, sheep's wool, wood fibre, cellulose wadding, cork and many more. We've put a link in the transcript for you if you want more details on the different eco-friendly materials that exist on the market. Another reason why our heating consumption can be very high is when we overheat our homes. 
Yes, because actually the World Health Organization suggests that around 18 degrees Celsius, that's about 64 Fahrenheit, is the ideal temperature for healthy people. And on top of that, increasing your temperature by just 1 degree Celsius raises your energy spending by 7%. And when we avoid overheating our homes, we develop a better resistance to the cold and it strengthens our immune system too. Our bodies possess different mechanisms that enable us to adapt to the cold. But by overheating our homes, our bodies don't have to make much effort anymore. So by always adapting our environment instead of adapting our bodies to the cold, these mechanisms become weaker. And then it's a vicious circle. The more we rely on heating, the weaker our resistance to the cold gets. And at night there's usually no need for leaving the heating on. A temperature of about 15 to 17 degrees Celsius is sufficient, and a cool room is better to sleep in. And it's the same thing if we're out of the house for a good part of the day. We can turn off the heating during that time. And to save even more energy, we can turn off the heating in the rooms we are not using and keep doors closed to keep the heat in. These are a lot of adjustments that we have to make throughout the day, so to help keep an optimal temperature at any moment, we can install a thermostat. This simple solution can save you up to 13% on your energy bill. And it sounds obvious, but dressing for the season is also essential to reduce our heating use. Instead of underdressing and overheating our homes, we can dress more appropriately and reduce our energy use. For instance, wearing wool, which is the warmest natural material you can wear, will help you feel comfortable without having to increase your heating. And a simple but very important thing that we should always wear at home in the winter or slippers. Again, it sounds insignificant, but protecting your feet from the cold really helps feeling warmer in general. For strong and warm slippers made of natural fabric, you can opt for felt slippers made of wool. Another simple thing is moving furniture away from radiators or heating vents. Otherwise, they'll block the warm air from spreading out into the room. In the same way, covering your radiator will block the warm air and reduce its efficiency. And if you're like me and you like books, placing a bookshelf against an exterior wall is an easy way to help reduce losing heat. There are also little habits that you can adopt in the kitchen, like after using your oven, you can keep the oven door open to let the heat out into your home. And because this is a large topic and it's complicated to cover everything in a few minutes, in an upcoming episode, we'll compare different heating systems and see what are the better options for the planet and again for our wallets. Every week we finish with a pretty amazing fact about our planet. A little planet wonder. And so we're going back to Australia to put you out of the suspense and finally reveal what the mystery animal is. Before we heard the kookaburra's weird laugh, but now we're going to hear another animal sound and it's completely different. So try and guess what animal might make this noise. Well, believe it or not, this awful sound is made by a fairly small animal called the Devil of Tasmania. Tasmania is an island off the south coast of Australia, and it's the only place where these animals can be found in the wild. They are famous for their aggressive behaviour. They will snarl and growl and lunge at any attackers. So when European colonisers first arrived on the island, you can probably guess why they named it the Devil of Tasmania. Yeah, these creatures are pretty fierce. Their heads are quite big compared to their bodies, and they have very sharp teeth. In relation to the size of their body, their jaws have the most powerful bite of any living animal. 
Wow, that's pretty scary. So it's not a surprise, really, that they are strictly carnivorous and will eat any prey that they can find, from frogs to birds' eggs and small mammals. We hope you've enjoyed spending this little time with us. If you would like to support our work, please consider becoming one of our Patreons. For as little as the price of a coffee, you can make it possible for us to keep sharing positive and important stories about our planet. We run this podcast in our free time, so your support really means a lot to us. Another great way to help is to follow our podcast, share it with your close ones, or also comment on your podcast platform and leave a five-star review. These all seem like small things, but it helps us to gain visibility, which means more people can hear these inspiring stories. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.